This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right, it's time to break up. We are in the uh, week 16 of a sermon series through the book of Ephesians. We're in week 16. By the way, two weeks ago, Jeff brought an amazing uh, sermon. And then we were out last Sunday. So thank you for coming back. Um, not forgetting that we had church. But Jeff, thank you so much for that sermon uh, two weeks ago. We're picking up right where he left off. That's our philosophy here. If this is your first or second, third time here at Keystone, that's what we do. We preach through the Bible. So we take a book of the Bible and we preach through it. We break it apart. We go next chapter. We go next verse. Uh, that's the way we do it. You're not going to hear a hobby horse uh, sermon. You're not going to hear you know, whatever was in the news this week, and we're going to somehow wrap it around a Bible verse. Um, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to preach the Word. And so our church family, guys, it's been 16 weeks. That's awesome. we probably got about 12 um, more. Um, and so we're going to be rolling through the book of Ephesians. So I'm excited um, about that. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. Ephesians chapter number 4. If you have your Bibles, that's great. If you have an app on your phone uh, or iPad, that's great. If not, we'll have it up on our new screen. Hey, um, it's pretty cool. I like that you guys are looking at me now, even if you're looking at the screen. So we used to, if you, we had TVs right here. Y'all you remember? They came out like right there. And so you guys would like spend the majority of your time like looking at TVs. And now you're going to, even if you're looking at the screen, you're going to be looking at me. It's going to be wonderful. If you remember... Uh, the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters of the book of, the, of Ephesians, we have, we have learned that God, through the, the pen of the Apostle Paul, was teaching us uh, about our riches or our standing or the theology of who we are in Christ. And we've spent weeks discussing who we are in Christ and preaching on who we are in Christ. Um, and then we have made the distinction, now that we're in chapter 4, that the last three chapters of the book, 4, 5, and 6, uh, really describe how we're supposed to walk, or we're supposed to live, or we're supposed to interact in Christ as a result of our standing, the theology, and our riches in Christ. So we are who we are in Christ, first three chapters, and now this is how we do that. This is how we act that out. This is how we live that out as Christians. And so this is just another step down that journey of how we are to live, how are we to interact um, after we have understood who we are in Christ. Beginning in verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible says this, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, Because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness and greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. I love today we have a new stage setting. We sang four very mellow, kind, lullaby Christmas songs. By the way, the whole thing is not like that next week. I just want to, just so you know, there's some upbeat ones. Uh, but anyway, um, we sang kind of chill. And now I'm about to preach a sermon where we're going to talk about sin. 
And so I, it's like a sneak attack. You know what I mean? It's like everything's great and wonderful. Sin. All right, it's coming. Um, but how many of you understand this morning? And feel free to talk and raise your hand. How many of you understand this morning? If we're going to preach the Bible, then we are going to have to preach about sin. Anybody in here? Y'all okay with that? All right, good. In fact, if you're not okay with that, then you should look for a different church. And if you go to a church and they don't preach against sin, you shouldn't go to that church at the end of the day. And so the Bible preaches about it. Where the Bible speaks, we speak. Where the Bible is silent, we are silent. Today we're going to talk about it's time to break up. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would lead and guide, you would direct. God, that you would work through your word. We know that you literally inspired and breathed these words into existence. And we thank you for the process by which the Apostle Paul sent this letter to a group of churches in the town of Ephesus. God, I pray that today we would understand that God wants to teach us something through the words that the Apostle Paul penned to the church at Ephesus. God, I pray that we would leave here today different than the way that we walked in. And God, I pray that we would leave here um, with a better understanding, but not just a, a knowledge of understanding in our heads, but God, a change of heart or a or a, a, a softening of a heart. We love you today, Jesus. We thank you for loving us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Very quickly this morning, I want to jump right into the text and right into the outline uh, this morning. First of all, I want us to see this, the walk of the old man. The walk um, of the old man. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, verse 17, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. The walk of the old man. This verbiage in this passage, it talks about the Gentiles. That's not an uncommon word in the book of Ephesians. It's not an uncommon word throughout all of the New Testament epistles or letters that the Apostle Paul uh, wrote to the churches. But the Gentiles is, is, is talking about those who have yet to receive Christ. He uses that term. And I think if you've been here throughout the entire book of Ephesians, you understand why. For hundreds of years prior to Jesus, the Jews felt like they were the only ones who could receive grace. Felt like they were the only ones that God uh, loved. They were the only ones that God would send uh, the Savior uh, for. And so the Gentiles were kind of synonymous with the quote-unquote unsaved. Now what we've learned through the book of Ephesians is that when Jesus Christ came, he kicked down all those worship walls. He kicked down all of those, those uh, racial walls. He kicked down all of those social walls. And he brought a church together of Jews and Gentiles. And today, unless you're 100% Jew sitting in this room today, then you are a Gentile. And we're a church full of Gentiles that are worshiping together. Okay, so that's the, the thought process. But Paul is using the language that they would understand, walking as the Gentiles, as the, the unsaved. The Gentiles are those who had yet to receive the mystery of the gospel. And that mystery was, once again, that Jesus Christ made grace available to Jews and to Gentiles. They had not yet received that mystery, that gift, that salvation. But Paul says that you should no longer walk as if you're a Gentile. So what's he saying? Paul is saying to the church, you should not walk, you should not live, you should not interact, you should not go about your daily lives as if you have not yet received Christ. 
That's what he's saying when he uses this term, to walk not as the Gentiles walk. He's saying, listen, the unsaved live, walk, interact in a certain way, and you should not live and walk and interact in that way. He is writing this letter to believers, the church at Ephesus. So this passage is not about salvation, unless you try to take this passage and say that Paul is saying that we need to do this and do this and do this and do this in order to be saved completely the opposite. Paul is saying, no, Jesus Christ came and paid for this. And now because of that, first three chapters, I wrote about it. Because of that, don't walk as if you've never met Jesus. Don't walk as if you've never met Jesus. And can I just pause here for a second? Going off, off my notes. So whatever I say can and will not be held against me. All right. Um, at your job, the people that you interact with at work, you ought not to walk as if you've never met Jesus. As you interact within your family, your family, you ought not to walk as if you've never met Jesus. You, not, you ought not to walk in your neighborhood, in your community. You ought not to walk as you interact with people as if you've never met Jesus. Hey, when people find out you go to church, they shouldn't be like, for real? <laughs> oh, I had no idea. My bad. I had no idea. That shouldn't be the way that it happens. It shouldn't be a shock. If they don't know that you go to church and they find out, it should be, oh, okay, that explains. Okay, now I get it. That explains a lot. Okay, cool. You're one of those people. Cool. And I'll gladly be one of those people, by the way. But Paul talks about walking no longer as if you have never met Jesus. And so what I want to challenge you by way of the first point this morning as we are going to dive into it a little bit more, is stop living like you never met Jesus. Hey, when Jesus Christ came into your heart and your life, you were a sinner bound for an eternal destination in hell. And Jesus Christ came and rescued you. And he gave you eternal life, not only in heaven someday, but he gave you the Holy Spirit today. And he has changed and radically changed your life. So why would we live as if we'd never met Jesus? That's what Paul's addressing here. There weren't many huge problems, I don't believe, in this church at Ephesus. But here was one that Paul evidently took a portion of this letter to address. What does it look like? What does it look like for the, the, the Christians in the town of Ephesus? What did it look like for them to walk as if they had never met Jesus? And maybe today in the town of Durham, Raleigh, Chapel Hill, Hillsborough, wherever you call home. What would it look like for us to walk as if we had never met Jesus? I think he lays it out, Paul does, in verse 18. Uh, he says that uh, they are having their understanding darkened. Under the walk of the old man, we have a lack of understanding. A lack of understanding. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 says this, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, understand them. Because they are spiritually discerned. What does it look like to walk as if you've never met Jesus? To not have an understanding, a spiritual understanding. Verse 17 calls it the futility of the mind. Those who walk as one who has never met Jesus walk with a futile mind, not comprehending or understanding spiritual things. If we want to walk as if we've never met Jesus, then we will walk not understanding and not comprehending the beauty of what God is doing, in, even in this church family. 
If, if we want to walk as though we've never met Christ, then we will walk and we will not celebrate what God is doing all over our city in churches that preach the gospel and are having people come to Christ. We won't, sell, we won't have any understanding. We won't discern that. Hey, if we want to walk as a, as Christ, as a Christian that's never, as a person that's never met Jesus, we won't celebrate what God is doing globally through his church and people coming to Christ on the other side of the world uh, today and tomorrow and yesterday. And we won't celebrate because we don't understand. We don't have spiritual discernment because we're living as if we've never met Jesus. And a, a simple understanding, a comprehension. Hey, by the way, we ought to pray and ask God through his Holy Spirit to give us a greater comprehension of what he's doing. A greater comprehension of the spiritual things. We ought to. You know, everybody has like, a lot of people down south especially, you have like that spiritual grandma. How many of you raise your hand, you got a spiritual grandma? I had one until she cussed at you, but she was awesome. How many of you got a spiritual grandma? Man, y'all, I'm about to say, y'all grandmas are looking down on you like, come on. Anyway, we've all had spiritual grandmas. We, how, how'd your grandma get spiritual? You know, because over the years, God gave her understanding. Over the years, she began to recognize the spiritual things that God was doing all across her life, all across her community, all across the world. We ought to, uh, we ought to strive for that. We ought to seek for that. But if we want to live as if we've never met Jesus, according to the Apostle Paul, we will live with uh, an, uh, our understanding darkened with a lack of understanding and i don't know about you guys i never want to be a part of something that i don't understand i don't ever want to be a part of something that i don't understand so in my spiritual life i beg god for understanding for comprehension for wisdom as we walk through this secular and sinful world and culture that i have a spiritual understanding of what is going on it's not a sermon today on politics you i promise you you won't hear a sermon on politics. But that, that's going to guide me as I vote. Spiritual understanding. A godly mindset. What does God tell me in his word? Hey, this will help me as I interact at work. A spiritual understanding. Hey, maybe instead of firing right back at that boss who says something to you that you didn't appreciate... You maybe have spiritual understanding and you say, you know what? He's probably or she's probably going through something that I don't even understand. We take some time for some spiritual understanding and we take a step back so that we comprehend a little bit more spiritually what's going on in people's lives. But not only, not only does the walk of the old man include a lack of understanding, but the walk of the old man includes being ignorant of the life that God has for him. Being ignorant of the life that God has for him. Look at verse 18. Being alienated from the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness of their hearts. Ignorance of the life that God... How can we live as Christians as if we've never met Jesus? We can live with a, just a willful ignorance of all God has for us. For those who have been saved by grace... Through faith, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we preached on those not too many weeks back. God didn't stop there. God has a life prepared for you and a life prepared for me. In fact, he calls that life abundant life. John 10, 10. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more 
abundantly. Depending on which uh, version of the Bible you read, I've heard it said that you may have life and have it to the full. Abundant living. God has an amazing life. Now that life, amazing, don't take that word the wrong way. It doesn't mean everything's hunky-dory and you're, uh, you're skipping through lilies the rest of your life. Doesn't mean that, but God does have an abundant life for everyone, for every one of us individually. And if we want to live as if we've never met Jesus, if we want to walk as the Gentiles walk, then we will live a life willfully ignorant of all that God has for us. And we'll spend that life, as we're going to find out in a little bit, in sin, in sin, and in sin, and in sin. And God has so much more for your life than the sin that you're currently living in. God has so much more for you. God has an abundant, full life planned for each one of his children. An abundant life. I love that word, abundant. But those who walk in the way of the Gentiles... Live as if that life doesn't exist. How many of you have a, let's, let's, let's get down where we live because it's, it's holiday time. How many of you have a family member, maybe extended family member? And for me, it's, I've got family members that are saved. <clears throat> They've named the name of Christ. They have a testimony of salvation. But I look at their life, their lives, and I think, God's got something. If you would just, if you would just take that step into the abundant Christian life. If you just take that step into the life of God, the life that God has for you, your life would be so much different. God would be able to do things in your life that right now you keep pushing back and you keep resisting. If you would just take that next step, I've got people and family members and friends that I see like that all the time. And I want to say, if you will not live as if you've never met Jesus, you would not live in willful ignorance of the abundant life that God has for you. But people continue to choose to live in the bondage of sin. They choose to live in the chains of addiction. They choose to live in the imprisonment that, that Satan has for them, even as a Christian. I think we all understand that Satan can't get your soul. But Satan can influence and impact many, many things in your life. He can't get your soul, but he wants your flesh. He can't get your soul, but he wants your mind. He wants to infiltrate and he wants to use. And today is, once again, I apologize because of the beautiful Christmas music and the new stage and everything is hunky-dory, but we're going to talk a little bit about sin. We're going to talk a little bit about this morning what the Apostle Paul says, those who walk as if they're not saved do. Not only are they lacking understanding, not only are they ignorant of the abundant life that God has for them, but they are given over, thirdly, to lewdness. They've been given over, they've given themselves over to lewdness. Verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Those are some words in there. Paul is pretty aggressive here. Paul doesn't hold back um, here. Paul says that these people that live as if they've never met Jesus, they are marked by lewdness, that word is a word that literally means all forms, it's kind of a broad word, all forms of like sexual, sexual uh, promiscuity. Um, it, it means living, giving themselves over to living in the lust, literally sexual lusts of their flesh. Of giving in to whatever temptation sexually 
has been marked their way. And that leads, obviously, with uncleanness and greediness and others. But those that live as if they've never met Jesus will live a life given over to their own fleshly and sexual desires. And they'll live with no moral compass. They'll live what the Bible calls an uncleanness. And let me just be perfectly uh, clear this morning. I believe the Bible teaches us very specifically that forms of lewdness and all forms of lewdness are sin. Very simply, S-I-N. There's no way around it. The the Bible is very clear. Sexual promiscuity and, and lewdness, any sex outside of the boundary of a committed biblical marriage is sin. Just to make that clear this morning. I don't care what our culture says. I don't care what logic may tell us, humanistic logic may tell us. I don't care how many guys at work don't understand. I don't care how many girls at work are like, what? Like, you're that old-fashioned? Like, I'm not really sure. Like, don't you understand the benefits of, like, let me be perfectly clear. Any sex outside the boundary of a committed biblical marriage is sin. And let me take it a step further that I believe the Bible teaches us, as it teaches us in this passage, that anyone who actively lives in this lifestyle is actively living in a lifestyle of sin. I don't know how better, how easier, or more clear to put this. God has reserved the act of sex to take place within the boundary of marriage. And when we live outside of those boundaries, we are living as if we've never met Jesus. That's the way we're living. Lewdness includes all types of sexual relationships. It includes sexual mind games. It includes pornography. It includes sex before you get married as well as sex outside of your marriage. God condemns lewdness throughout Scripture. What I won't do for you this morning, because we don't have the time, is to go through all the verses in the Bible that point this out. I believe we understand it. I believe we know it knowledge with, with knowledge. So I'll spare us every passage that I could find in the Bible on this, but I believe we understand that. What, does, what do we do if we find ourselves living in this type of sin? Lewdness and uncleanness. What do we, what do, we do? What do we do if we find ourselves walking as if we've never met Jesus? If we walk as if, as if we don't even understand the abundant life that, that God has given or has for us? What do we do if we find ourselves walking with a lack of understanding, not even understanding the spiritual things of life? What do we do? Secondly, big number two this morning. Secondly, we see the breakup. We see the breakup. That's not the... Uh, Vince Vaughn and Jennifer Aniston movie from back in the day. That's not what we're talking about. Can I confess? Of all the movies that you probably should never, well, number one, you probably shouldn't watch it, just for some other reasons, but that you shouldn't watch on your honeymoon, it's probably the breakup. So who is the current pastor in Durham, North Carolina, who him and his wife went to see that movie on their honeymoon? That would be me. All right, I'm sorry about that. We got off on the wrong foot, but we're still together. All right, so anyway. We can cut that maybe out of the tape. I'm just kidding. We see the breakup. We see the breakup. Just like a verse from a Taylor Swift song. We have to go through the process of breaking up. Just like probably entire Taylor Swift albums. We have to go through the process of breaking up. 
And this isn't relationship uh, counseling 101 today, but how many of you understand that breakups are never easy, breakups are never fun? I love like when like high schoolers or like really young adults are like, you know, I feel like I need to break up with him, but I really want to be friends afterwards. And I'm like, I don't know if that's really going to happen. I'm just going to have to shoot straight with you. Like, there's no easy way of breaking up. I want to break up, but I want, I want to be great friends with you. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, that's not really probably going to happen. Breakups are never easy. Breakups are never fun. Breakups are never uh, wanted. Uh, most of the, well, they're wanted by at least one person, but they're not mutually wanted. We see here what we're called to do if we're living in this sin. Look at verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. What is that truth? That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. We must be willing to put some things off. You say, Josh, I was hoping for a more magical, spiritual answer. We must be willing. Here's, the, here's your more spiritual answer. And it's actually a big deal. Through the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us to put some things off. To get rid of some sin in our lives that we have allowed to live inside of us. We must be willing through the power of the Holy Spirit to put some things off. We must be willing through the power of the Holy Spirit to break up. And by the way, side note, if you try this in your own might and in your own power, you're just a legalistic Christian going through the motions of checking the do right box or checking the do wrong box. And I did more right than I did wrong. So everything's good. God, right? We're good. No, no. If we are going to break up, We must break up through the power of God's Holy Spirit. Hey, your willpower might be enough for about this much. Your willpower, it might be enough for this much. But you know what? If your willpower is enough for this much, then your pride gets in the way. And you're going to mess it all up. If you think you can get rid of your sin, if you think you can overcome sin, if you think you can break up this morning with your sin on your own, you've got a rude awakening coming. Because you can try the rest of your life to rid yourself of sin and you will fail. Every single time. We must put off concerning our former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. John Owen had a quote, and you've probably heard this quote before, but it's so true. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. The devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking who he can devour. That's what he walks around as. Hey, sin is looking to kill. Sin is looking to infiltrate. Sin is looking to take over. And if we're not on the offensive killing it, then sin will be killing us. We must Kill it. Colossians chapter 3. Several verses here in Colossians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 5. Therefore put to death. Some of your Bibles may say mortify. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication. 
uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. In which you yourselves once walked as Gentiles when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, Filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Basically, what am I saying this morning? I think it's, I'm saying that in order to rid ourselves of the sin in our lives, that we need to have a, a funeral. That we need to have a time where we mortify, where we put to death the desires of our flesh. We need to have a time where we, what does that look like? Where we get alone with God and we say, God, you already know. You already know my faults. You already know my sins. You already know everything. But God, I'm getting alone with you right now because I'm confessing them, just like you told me to in 1 John chapter 1. I'm confessing my sin before you and I'm asking for forgiveness. I'm asking for release. I'm asking for, for victory. I'm asking for triumph. I'm asking for it. I'm trusting you for it, to mortify, to kill, to put to death our sinful flesh. Our sinful flesh. Repentance is not just words that we say. Repentance is taking a step of action to mortify, to kill, to move in the opposite direction. Repentance is not just, oh, you know, I used to do this and I'm not going to do that anymore. No, repentance is, I used to do this. Right over here, this is what I used to do. I used to be right here. And repentance is, because of what God's spoken to me through his word and through his spirit, I no longer do this. I have taken a 180. I do this. I don't do, I do, I do this. And this is the act of repentance. It's not just words that we say it is coupled with our actions to back it up this morning. And so we need to break up this morning. We need to break up because we've been walking as, an, as, as a person, an old man, a person who has never met Jesus. And we need to break up with our sin so that thirdly this morning, and we're finished, so that we can have the renewal of the new man. I promise you I'm not that harsh. I would never just preach on sin and be like, peace, see y'all next week. All right, there is something else. There is a, a next step, and that is found in verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We preached uh, several months back. We talked about the relationship uh, that we have with sin after we're saved. We preached through that. Um, and I, I'm not going to preach through that this morning, but let me just say this. We don't believe that you have two dogs fighting and it's, you know, your sinful, your sin, Josh, that's on its way to hell and your heavenly Josh on its way to heaven. And you're feeding one of those dogs and whichever dog you feed the best wins. And so if Josh feeds hell dog better, hell dog wins. If you feed heaven dog better, heaven dog wins. So I'm constantly going back and forth. I don't believe that. Uh, we believe that when you are given the new man when you're given a new nature that God completely takes over I'm not going to preach any more about that this this uh, this morning 
However, I do want us to see this. Under the renewal of the new man, we see first of all the renewal of the mind. The renewal of the mind, that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Romans chapter 12 verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How many of you understand, and I'm not not trying to be a, um, a psychologist this morning, I'm not trying to get into that realm, but how many of you understand that what you tell yourself oftentimes affects your perception of reality. Let me, let me say it. Let me try to give an, expl- an explanation. Um, if you walked into church today, okay, and you told yourself, hey, in order for me to enjoy church this morning, then we, we better sing one of these three songs. Like, in order for me to enjoy church today, I really need one of those. And you have that thought in your mind. As you walk into church today, we sing songs that you hadn't heard before. We sing songs that you're unfamiliar with, more than likely. And you came into church because you had spoken to your mind, your mind had spoken to you, and you came in now disappointed. I'm a Duke fan, and I apologize for that for some of you, but it's all good. I'm a Duke fan. Yesterday, UNC played Gonzaga and beat the mess out of them, by the way. Congratulations to all you Carolina fans. But you know what my mind would tell me? If you gave me tickets to last night's game at the Smith Center, you gave me tickets on the way there, my mind is telling me something. And so when I get there, my perception of what's going on is going to be altered by what I've been telling myself. And I won't tell you what that is. All right? But I, what I've been telling myself. Just as if, if, if you were to go to the game as a diehard UNC fan... Your expectation, what your mind has been telling you, is going to lead to a completely different outcome. The truth remains the same, but our perception of the truth is way different. Everybody understand that? That's the power of your mind. And so today, you're going to leave this service, you're going to go eat lunch somewhere, and and subconsciously, what you tell yourself about where you're going to eat and what you're going to order and what the experience is going to be at that restaurant, subconsciously, that's going to affect your perception of what happens at that restaurant. Oh, the last time I went here... Like the food was cold, the server didn't keep my drink uh, filled, and the bathrooms were dirty. So now when you walk in there, you have created something in your mind that now they have to prove that the food's hot, the server keeps your drink filled, and the restrooms are spotless. Does everybody understand the power of the mind? Do we understand how the mind can affect, it doesn't, sorry, it doesn't affect the actual reality of the truth, it affects how we perceive it. And so as we are living our lives as Christians, our mind is so powerful because how we think about something determines how we view it. And we need to be renewed in our minds. We need to be renewed to think as Christ would think, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Let me say this, once you repent of your sin and have that breakup of the sin that you've been living in, step one God, help me think differently about that sin. Hey, that sin that I used to think was pleasure, I need for that sin, God, please help my mind to change that is not pleasure, but that is uncleanness. God, the the things that I I took part in, the the words that I said, God, and I I used to get some sort of high on what I did. God, can you now bring into my mind and help my mind to see that not as a high, but to see that as a, as a chain, 
as a stronghold trying to pull me down in my life. Renewing of our minds. God, give me a new mindset about my sin. Not only do we see the renewal of our mind, lastly, and we're out of here, I promise. We see a renewal of righteousness and holiness. A renewal of righteousness and holiness. That you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. This isn't rocket science, guys. I, this isn't anything that's going to blow you away this morning. Here's, the, here's how it happens. We live in sin. We get comfortable living in our sin. Fair? We get comfortable living in our sin as Christians. Before we know it, we've lived in that sin long enough. We've desensitized ourselves to sin long enough that we start accepting it, becoming more comfortable in our sin, maybe even justifying our sin to other people. Everybody see the pattern? Over time, it was like, man, I know what I'm doing is bad. Now it's like, okay, I've become, okay, this is just who I am. And then that's, that's what happens. We, we fall into sin. And then we have to repent, break up, Taylor Swift style. I mean, we got we to gotta put, in, put, in put in the album. We don't put it in the CD. I about showed my age. I'm only 36. Lord, have mercy. Uh, you open up Spotify and you go to her album. If she's even on there, I think she was fighting them for a while. But anyway... You listen to the Taylor Swift song, you're like, that's my inspiration. I'm breaking up with a sin, right? I'm having the breakup. I've been living a pattern of sin. I've gotten comfortable with it. It's over. I repent. I'm going to start living the right way. It, it takes two things. Number one, changing the way you think and then living righteously. Like, I wish that the answer was like, I wish you guys were like, oh, and like just started clapping. Like, Josh just told us something. I don't know how else to say it. That's what the scripture says. Start thinking right and start living right. It doesn't get any more plain as day as that. Hey, listen, we, can, we try to control everything in our lives. We try to control how much money we have in the bank. We try to control how we work at our job. We try to control every family member. I mean, some of y'all probably try to control your brothers and sisters and your nieces and nephews way too much. You need to chill. We try to control everything in our lives. You know what we don't try to control? Our sinful passions. It's like we're like, oh, okay, this, I mean, whatever. I'm going to control everything else in my life, but I mean, can't control my sinful passions. No, through the power of God's Holy Spirit, we need to change the way we think, and we need to start living like Christians. We need to start living as if we understand that we were a hell-bound sinner on our way to hell, and Jesus Christ came, and he died in our place, he died on Calvary's cross, and he died for one reason and one reason only, and that was to save all who would call upon the name of the Lord. And in his mercy, he called me, and I, and I answered that call in faith, and, and, and my salvation is recorded forever in heaven, and the Holy Spirit is given to me here on this earth, and now I'm going to live as if I believe that. I'm going to live as if I'm a Christian. Because, wait for it, if you've believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a Christian. Now let's walk like it. Let's interact like it. Let's live like it. Let's, let's talk like it. Let's, let's interact with people. Let's, let's relate as if we're truly saved. I forget who I was with this week, and they may even be in this room, but it's nothing that's, uh, that's like sensitive material. Someone told me this week, you know, Josh, at some point in time I had to make the decision, is this real or not? Is all this stuff real? 
Or is this stuff, are we just coming together to hang out for a little bit of time and go on our way? You ever been in those times of life and got it? Is this real? And let me say this, if, if Christianity is real, if this is real, if, if heaven and hell for eternity hang in the balance, if the Holy Spirit ruling and reigning in our life hand, hangs in the balance, if it is real this morning, then we need to live as if it is real. And if it is not real this morning, then let's take this book right here, this Bible, and let's throw it by the wayside. Why am I going to live under a list of rules and regulations if I don't believe it's real? But if it's real, then we need to get serious about killing sin. Because killing, because sin is trying to kill us if it's real. What did C.S. Lewis say? Jesus is either Lord, he's liar, or he is lunatic. Jesus isn't a good man. Jesus is either God, who he claimed he was, or he is off his rocker. Let's be real. So if we believe that he, said, that he is who he says he is, let's live like it. But, but my friends at work, who cares? But, but my, 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 my cousin, my sister, my brother, who cares? If it's real, let's live like it. Hey, if it's real, let's get rid of sin. Hey, if it's real, then let's go all in. Hey, if it's real, let's not, let's not test the waters and, and, and lap it up a little bit to see. No, if it's real, let's dive. Let's go off that diving board. Let's do a flip. Let's belly flop. If we're going to do it, let's do it. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. It's time for some of us to break up with the sin that we've allowed to be in a long-term relationship with us. This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit keystonerdu.church. Please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.